Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at BrightThink Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email Robert Smith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. We'd also like to thank Helping Hands and OSA EMR for their support of the show. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7. Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. And my co-host is... Sharon Pierce. Sharon's a practicing CRNA for over 20 years, a past president of the ANA, the NCANA, and she's held many other leadership roles. As usual, our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs, and I think our topic today is definitely going to do that. And Sharon, what time is it? It's time to wake up, Jeremy. I think it is. Well, hello, Miss Pierce. How are you doing, Jeremy Stanley? I am doing wonderful today. It's hard to not do well on a Friday, right? Oh, amen to that, though it is a rainy Friday. That's okay. You know, we just uh, plugged and seeded our yard, and I've been praying for rain since, let's see, about 10 days now, and we finally are getting it. Oh, my gosh. Now, did you do a rain dance on your front lawn in your loincloth or anything to make that happen? No, no, no. I didn't do any of that <laughs> stuff. Uh yeah, but now that I think about it, maybe I'll do it next time. I think you should. It'll <laughs> rain for sure then. <laughs> uh, something. It'll be something. Yeah. Or, or they'll call the law on you. Well, you know, I live out a little bit, so we don't have like close neighbors and, and trees all around. You could pretty much do anything you wanted to do and nobody would ever know out there. So. Well, there you have it. Yeah, that's right. Well, it's great to be back together, even though we're not together. We're virtually together and great for technology it's not, the same. it's not it's not but hey you know what it's a close second yeah we'll yeah, take it that's right it's just good to be podcasting together again and our backs aren't up against the wall like they were earlier this year and we've got a little breathing room and due to covid and your graduation and my schedule and you know we got a little close on these podcasts but now we're we're doing much better we're not going to do that anymore well don't plan on it. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we got another great show lined up today, and uh, we have a, a wonderful guest with us. His name is Nick Dougal. Welcome, Nick. Hey, thank you guys for having me. I really do appreciate it. Absolutely. And, and Nick is an attorney. He's a practicing attorney down in Raleigh, North Carolina. And you're primarily focused on professional license, professional licensing and license defense for nurses, correct? Yeah, that's correct. That's uh, my primary area. I do a lot of stuff with the North Carolina Board of Nursing. 
Okay. Why don't you give us a little bit about your background so our listeners will know who's kind of talking to them today? Yeah. So I've been practicing law as an attorney since 2008. I actually started off doing criminal defense in uh, South Mississippi, did nothing but kind of felony work. And as a public defender, I'm sure most people know, but you take cases where the defendant can't afford a counsel. So I was taking a lot of uh, indigent folks. So I learned, I learned a lot. I did that for three years. And after living in Mississippi for seven years, I decided it was time to kind of move on. So moved up here after that and um, did some general practice in a number of firms since then. And I had taken, you know, years and years ago, my first uh, professional license case was with the Board of Nursing. And I really, I really enjoyed the experience in trying to help nurses out. And, you know, when I got the opportunity to open my firm in 2019, early 2019, you know, I was like, I really am passionate about, you know, professional license defense. I'm a kind of a small government guy and most of my family are licensed professionals. My mom's a licensed realtor. My dad's got two professional licenses as a engineer, as a general contractor. My oldest brother's a, an attorney, so he's licensed as well. And it was just kind of a natural fit. And, um, you know, I've just been able to, to kind of slowly grow my practice and got to continue to do so. But I, I absolutely love what I do. Yeah, it's great. Well, you know, I mean, we've all heard some horror stories and, you know, most of our listeners are CRNAs or, you know, I think even a lot of RNs now, Sharon, are listening to us as well. And, you know, we, we've heard the stories of, you know, the CRNA did this and, you know, got in trouble or they didn't do that. And we even had the insurance guy from the American Association of Nurse Anesthesiologists now, right, Sharon? He was on and he actually told a story about uh, a CRNA who was working at a hospital and had a claim come up and the hospital took over with the insurance company and unbeknownst to her settled the claim. And then when she went to another facility to try to get credentialed, it popped up and she didn't even realize that they had settled the claim and it was pretty substantial. It was a six figure claims. So I think some of the things we're going to be talking about today can be generalized to all CRNAs across the country, even though I know your practice is, is just in North Carolina currently, and you're dealing with the North Carolina Board of Nursing. But, you know, I would like to get across some of these ideas and things that our listeners need to be thinking about from a legal perspective. Yeah. And, you know, the malpractice insurance coverage, like you said, that's across the board, every single state. And you got to look at it this way. I mean, if you're a CRNA and you don't acquire your own malpractice coverage, then you're just basically on your your employer's coverage. So guess what? If something happens, are they going to be looking out for themselves first and foremost or the CRNA and or the physician themselves first? I mean, that's just kind of the way it is. So one of the ways to protect yourself further is get quality malpractice insurance coverage. Now, obviously, you want to read over the policy, see what everything that's, uh, you know, all the coverage that is in the policy. I mean, I've had some clients come to me and they thought they had malpractice insurance coverage where it would cover representation by somebody for the professional license defense. And it turned out it didn't. But I do know for a fact that certain malpractice insurance coverage will cover a uh, licensed professional if they get in trouble with their licensing board. You know, they'll, they'll cover the attorney's fees and anything else associated with that. In addition to coverage on the civil side. So two different things, legally speaking, civil side being, you know, essentially sued for malpractice. So when a plaintiff's attorney sues for malpractice, they're going to throw everything out there. They're going to sue the facility. They're going to sue the physician. They're going to sue a CRNA or anybody that might have been associated with it. Because 
if they leave somebody out and they end up being an essential defendant to a matter, then they're potentially leaving not only money on the table, but, you know, potentially um, causing an issue with their suit. So they're it's easier to dismiss a claim against somebody typically than to bring somebody in, although you can bring in a necessary third party, but it's just easier to just file a dismissal as to somebody than to try to bring them in later in the suit. Hey, hey Sharon, do you ever think about this stuff when, you know, you're working and you're, you're sitting there, you're given an anesthetic, do you sit there and you think, gosh, I hope my insurance coverage is in place right now. And I hope I've got the right type of insurance as you're squeezing that bag or, turning that knob or pushing that, you know, propofol or whatever you do these days? You know, really and truly, I don't. I'm thinking about that patient because they're the most important person in my life at that particular time. So I really don't. But something you said begs the question, Nick, if you are sued for malpractice, is there also a piece relative to your license that can ensue from that? I guess it would get reported against your license. So talk to me about that. That's a little bit terrifying and something I had not thought about. Yeah. So essentially what usually ends up happening is if a, you know, medical provider facility, let's just take a hospital, for example, it's just an easy one. And, you know, they end up having a suit filed against them. And then who's listed on there is maybe CRNA and physician. Well, they're going to look at that and they're going to look at over the, all the facts. They're more than likely do their own internal investigation. And if they feel that even for one iota that a CRNA might have been at fault or a physician might have been at fault, they are more than likely going to file their own complaint with the board. And then from there, the CRNA and or the physician is going to have to you know, provide a fence to that license complaint. I've seen that happen a lot where the facility will try to cover the rear end by reporting anybody that they feel might have been at fault or done something wrong to the licensing board. Yeah. So that's pretty common. And that's where the complaint would typically come from. Oh, my goodness. I had never given that piece of it any thought whatsoever. Yeah. And, you know, and in North Carolina, at least, then I don't you know, obviously, if uh, somebody's listening from a different state, you know, check your local state's administrative code and statutes pertaining to your actual licensing board. But in North Carolina, there are certain self-reporting requirements as well. You know, so if something was done allegedly long, wrong, where it could have been negligence, there may be a requirement that it be self-reporting to the board itself. But in my experience, most of the time it's come from facility in a situation like that. Hey, Nick, in that situation, is it something that they, and I'm just lack of a better term, do an investigation about what's going on? And then if it's proven that, you know, that particular CRNA or that nurse did do something wrong, does that show on their license moving forward? Yeah, that's a good question. So in North Carolina, what will end up happening is that the investigation will be done by you know, one of the many investigators with the board. And then once their investigation is done, which their investigation will involve talking with as many witnesses as is necessary, they'll get documentation from the facility. If the licensee has documentation of witnesses, they'll provide that information over to them. They'll get an opportunity to speak with the investigator multiple times and sit down with them. And then at the conclusion of all that, the investigator will submit a report to the board's attorney and partial you know, a couple members of the board, and then they'll make a decision whether or not that there's any legitimacy to the complaint. It's pretty much akin to 
the first portion of a criminal defense case where you're going to a grand jury to decide if there's, you know, going to be an indictment or probable causes. Gotcha. Very, very similar. It's kind of a natural fit for somebody with my background in criminal defense coming over to something like this. But, but yeah. Wow. That, I find that very interesting. You know, I've even heard stories, and this was in another state, of, you know, a CRNA got sued. Obviously, they sued the doc. They sued everybody that was in the room. Mm-hmm. But they were pulling cell phone records because they said that the CRNA wasn't attentive to the patient and they wanted to see if they were on their phone or if they were texting during the case and so forth. And Sharon, have you ever had anybody, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm sure every CRNA in the country has probably used their cell phone in the in the OR to text or do something. In fact, I know a lot of places you use your cell phone to stay in touch in the cases now. They don't give you pagers anymore. But have you ever had anybody say, oh, you shouldn't be on your cell phone? You know, I think in the beginning, whenever cell phones first started being used, I think there was a lot of discussion. But now in reality, you don't know if somebody's using it to look up information, which I do a lot of, Mm -hmm. looking up meds or different things, or you're texting your fellow CRNAs that are in the next room to you. So I I don't see a lot of pushback. Is there a um, line there, Nick? I mean, in, in your realm, have you seen that happen? I think the line is more than likely going to be, you know, what, what Sharon was talking about. If you're looking something up relevant to, you know, your patient or something along those lines, you know, you're doing something that's going to further, you know, quality treatment. And that's, that's the bottom line. You're doing something that's going to help the patient out that I don't really see a problem with that. I think you're obviously, if you're flipping through Facebook and doing something like that, where it's not really benefiting the patient at all, that's where you're going to end up with some issues or you're texting, you know, your mom about something that's completely irrelevant to what's going on in front of you. Then there's going to be issues there, but, you know, looking something up at relevant to the patient's care, even if it's double checking something, you know, I really wouldn't, I don't see why there would be an issue with that, in my opinion, at least. Now you feel better, Sharon. Well, I mean, when you're, you're looking at somebody else, you don't know what they're doing. Right. I mean, right. You, we all make assumptions about things. And, I, you know, I, I look at it this way. I've been in court before with new judges for civil matters, and I've seen judges, they'll bring out a, a rules of evidence book. They'll bring something else out that, you know, and you're kind of like, well, shouldn't they know that? It's like, well, they're brand new and maybe they're a little bit nervous and maybe they want to make sure that they get something correct and they'll break it out right in the middle of the proceeding, whether it's a hearing or trial, or whatever. And some people, you know, I've had clients, but what are they doing? I'm like, oh, they're new. They're just double checking themselves. And I don't see an issue with that either. And that's kind of a kin. I, I know it's, you know, less serious than doing what the CRNA does, but, you know, it's kind of similar in the respect of you have somebody in that, you know, that position you know, double checking themselves and making sure that they get something right. So as a CRNA, you spend years preparing yourself for this career. So we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn. The best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance. We've known disability income specialist Robert Smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 CRNAs over multiple decades. He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. 
That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com or call them at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA, yourself and your ability to earn a living by adding disability insurance to your financial plan. All right, well, let's talk about some of the cases that you may have have seen, especially regarding CRNAs as far as licensing. Can you talk about some of those things? So I ended up to kind of get some published orders and see what was out there publicly. I went to the North Carolina Board of Nursing's website. Anybody can go on there. If there's a published order, that means it's public record and it has to be available to everybody. So the Board of Nursing has all this stuff on their website and you can actually break it down to, you know, what license. So you can click and see what, you know, potential issues RNs have had in the past. So I did the CRNAs and, you know, there's a small sample size, which means that, there's not a lot of CRNAs in North Carolina that have had issues with the Board of Nursing, at least published orders. You know, that doesn't mean that there hadn't been a slap on the wrist, like with the uh, private letter concern, which is obviously private. But these are some of the ones that I've found. And, uh, you know, again, small sample size, but, you know, here's what they are. So improper documentation of a patient's chart, you know, also standard of care not met for documentation. That one's kind of easily avoidable. It's just making sure that everything that's done regarding the patient is properly documented for, you know, reasons associated with continuation of care, maybe with somebody else, just to make sure everybody's on the same page. Another one is that deviation of controlled substances for personal use. Also, you know, failing to maintain an accurate record of all pertinent healthcare information. Now that's in North Carolina, at least, and I'm probably pretty sure that that's, this is the same in most, if not all states, but you got to document waste, return, and administration of controlled substances. That's got to be done properly. This one is more than like, well, not more than like, but it is the most common in North Carolina based on what I found. And in North Carolina, they do prescription audits and those will catch deviation of controlled substances or if it's just negligent record keeping too, they'll catch that as well. But that happens. There's been some published orders in regards to alcohol drug dependency which in North Carolina, they've got three different options with the Board of Nursing. Two of them will keep everything private if everything is complied with. There's one that it would end up being public, though. So the fact that some of these were public just kind of gives you an idea that that the people that had those orders published against them, they did have some serious issues going on and were, you know, trying to get some help. Now, Nick, let's, um, um, I'm going to stop for just a second there. Yeah. So if you've got, you know, a CRNA that goes out, you know, they had one too many and they get pulled over for DWI or DUI, whatever they call it these days. Does that affect them from a nursing standpoint? Yeah. So they're going to have to, and there was a statute that was passed in 2017, I believe, which required all licensed nurses in the state of North Carolina to self-report any arrest, not even conviction, but an arrest within 30 days of the arrest happening. Hmm. So that definitely includes the DWIs. Now, the thing with that is you will immediately be eligible for one of the programs in North Carolina for alleged substance abuse. In my experience, though, the, the Board of Nursing here wants you to go straight to the alternative program more than most of the time, which is still private. But it's man, it's restrictive. It's it's to the extent of, I mean, when I say restrictive, I mean like very oversight driven. 
like you can't eat anything that might contain poppy seeds. And if you do, you got to notify wow. the person that's responsible for supervision of your license. At that point, you get somebody assigned to you and it can last, you know, three years, four years, five years, things like that. And it's, it's gotta be tough. Like just looking at that stuff. So they try to direct people to that. And my thing is there's another program that's also private that is specifically for somebody, like you said, someone that has a DWI that pops up. They even have that on their site, the board of nursing site where, Hey, we're going to try to get you into this intervention program is what that other one called. And it's not as constraining as the other AP alternative program is. But yeah, uh, so there's self-reporting on that. And if you have multiple DWIs, you know, mm-hmm. they can, and I know of a couple of cases of this, they can actually take your, your license away, correct? Yeah, that is a possibility. I will say that the Board of Nursing, they try to make sure that the person is receiving proper care. And that does seem to be their focus, which it should be, obviously. But at the end of the day, you know, if the person either doesn't want help or is not able to, you know, go through the programs or anything like that, then yeah, it is definitely a possibility to have the license suspended or revoked. Yeah. Another another reason, Sharon, for CRNAs out there who are listening and you've had one too many, just call an Uber, call a friend. You don't even get behind that wheel. I mean, you're giving up a, a wonderful career potentially and your life and somebody else's life, uh, you know, for. Oh, my God. Did you read about the guy who had AAA and he had drank too much? So he called AAA to come and tow his vehicle. No way. Did he really? <laughs> hey, that's a smart. Isn't that smart? Yeah, that's pretty good. Sharon, that sounds like something your daddy would have done back in the day, you know. <laughs> that, that reminded me pretty, of him when you said that. Pretty smart. Because that's so, the way his mind works. Yeah, he would have. Um, so, Nick, even though you're talking about North Carolina, I would assume that anybody could go to any Board of Nursing website and see the infractions because every single Board of Nursing, every single state is a public entity. So, they have to do this for transparency. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, I yeah. So I've I've had a client before in a different state, and the person was trying to get a license over here. So I had to actually dig in a little bit on on some of the other states type of licensing stuff. And you're right. Yeah. So a lot of the stuff in other states as well is going to be uh, end up being published orders. You know, so public record as well. So that stuff will be out there. You put in here another fairly interesting case about failing to adhere to the minimal standard of nursing practice by failing to administer additional anesthesia in an area that what the patient had a spinal and they felt pain. Tell me a little bit about this. This is kind of interesting to me. Yeah. And I'm sure I'm going to butcher this medication, but again, I'm not a a medical professional. So but Sharon will uh, help you. She does me. So don't worry about it. (laughs) There you go. Okay. So, uh, yeah, this was another published opinion. This wasn't a case that I worked on, but it was def- it's on their website, on the Board of Nursing's website. But, but yeah, so on this particular one, CRNA was having to use isobaric bupivacaine. Bupivacaine. Thank you very much. Instead of hyperbaric bupivacaine for spinal anesthesia, and then the isobaric bupivacaine spinal anesthesia results in anesthesia over a smaller area. Mm-hmm. Then the hyperbaric bipuvacaine spinal agent uh, anesthesia. So they ended up using the wrong bipuvacaine, um, and it resulted in the the patient experiencing some pain because it, the medication didn't cover large enough area. It seemed to me, Sharon. What do you think um, about that? I mean, in that in that regards, 
Well, uh, it's hard for me to wrap my brain around this because there's so many other things. I mean, we all have spinals that that do not work sometimes. So then you go to your plan B, you put them to sleep, you uh, there's a lot of other things. So this is what I find it intriguing that they happen to kind of focus on the bupivacaine. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I grew up in a, at Wake Forest, trained at Wake Forest, and there we couldn't do regional anesthesia. So the residents come in and did it, did the spinals, and then they left, and they didn't care if they worked or not. So you were left sitting there. If they didn't work, you mm-hmm. had to come up with another plan. So I can't believe that this actually shows up on, you know, somebody had some action taken uh, against them regarding that. The whole thing is a little odd to me. Well, you know, I think that kind of leads into the next next point here, Sharon. And and, um, Nick said, you know, there were a couple of published orders where the CRNA knew the correct course of action regarding treatment of the patient, but the doctor said not to do that. And the CRNA knew what was right and didn't do it because the doctor told them not to. And Sharon, I know this probably happened to you. And I know with your personality, the laid back type B person that you are, you probably just did exactly what the doctor said, as most CRNAs would, right? (laughs) Well, you know, it's kind of interesting around this particular topic also. But the only time where we're not responsible, what we have always been told for our actions is if a physician steps in and tells us what to do. Oh, is so that true, this, Nick? Yeah. So this is kind of interesting in that regard, because if you are being supervised, and I put that in air quotes, <laughs> then if they say, no, don't do that. You're not supposed to if you are being supervised. But this says that's not true. Now, wait a minute. But but there could be two things there, Sharon. You're being supervised probably by the anesthesiologist, let's say, but the surgeon doesn't want you to do something. We get a little more complicated. I'll let Nick Uh, answer this. Well, let me just say this. You'll have physicians. Your surgeon can also tell you what they think you ought to do. Now, that being said, it goes back to what you said earlier, Jeremy. I have been known to still do what I (laughs) think needed to be done. (laughs) And I'm sure there are tons of CRNAs out there who have done the same thing. So this is this is intriguing to me also. So I'm going to let you talk now, Nick. (laughs) Yeah. And I kind of scratched my head on this one as well, because I, you know, I've been in a position doing like settlement conference with the board, for example, and, you know, the members of the board will say, well, you know, you're supposed to go by the policies and procedures of the hospital, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And you didn't adhere to that. And, you know, all all this stuff. So when do you come up with a minimal standard of care violation for, Follow like going in through the direction of the physician that's supervising the procedure, you know, or maybe the physician. The only thing I can think of is maybe the physician didn't follow the policies and procedures, but I don't know about that. I mean, it, it kind of seemed to me from reading it that it was a judgment call that the physician ended up making and, you know, essentially overriding the CRNA. You know, what is the CRNA in that position really supposed to do? Say, 
hey, you're wrong. I'm going to do it anyways. I have a hard time believing that most CRNAs are actually going to do that. Um, oh, no. Oh, I don't know. They'll do it. They'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, oh, I mean, yeah. I, I guess, Nick, you know, from that aspect and your professional opinion, you know, let's say that the doctor does say or, or the supervising physician does say, hey, you need to give this drug or you need to do that. And the CRNA mm-hmm. blatantly knows that is incorrect. You know, I mean, you, you know that that is not the right thing, and it's, it could put this patient in jeopardy. What should they do in that situation? I mean, I know you're not here to give yeah. that advice, but I mean, you know, just kind of talking in, a, in your professional capacity from a legal perspective. Yeah, so it's all about patient care, right? I mean, and that's what the Board of Nursing, when they do issue a complaint or, or file a complaint, it's because somebody potentially put the the patient in jeopardy. So if the CRNA knows, like in these cases, the ones that had the published opinion for the the failure to adhere to minimal standard of care, that's exactly what the reason was. Like the CRNA knew that the physician was not correct. And they knew that if they did what the physician, you know, said to do that, they were going to put the patient at risk and they did it anyways. So that, in my opinion, from what I was reading is why they went, the board of nursing went with the minimal standard of care or family to adhere with the minimal standard of care. You know, I will say another thing on, on these published orders, most, if not all of these that we've been talking about, about minimal standard of care and, and things like that, the individual CRNA represented themselves and, I think some of them were consent orders, which means they didn't even have a hearing. Mm. They just said, oh, okay, we'll we'll take this penalty. Whereas if they had either hired an attorney or requested a hearing or settlement conference, you know, they more than likely could have ended up with a non-published order, you know, a Mm. non-public reprimand. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855 844-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Oh, well, I think this is an important point for us to expound on. So let's say that you are named in something and you have to deal with the Board of Nursing. What I'm hearing you say is it's really important to have a lawyer involved, you might not have the skill set to defend yourself. So would you care to speak to that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the main job as an attorney is to separate your emotions from the facts of the case and think logically about it. Now, obviously, if you're if you're accused of doing something and your livelihood's basically at stake, are most people going to think clearly and take emotion out of it? More than likely not. No. I mean, I know if I had bar complaint, I'm not representing myself because I'm going to be pretty peeved about it and pretty upset. And I'm not going to think clearly about it and might do something really dumb, you know? So it's kind of the same thing. You know, if, if you're a CRNA or, or any other licensed professional at the very, very least speak with an attorney, you know, somebody that does this sort of thing, you know, you don't have to hire somebody. You can usually get uh, a consultation and speak with somebody and just got to get some guidance at the very least, you know. But the main thing is just don't say anything right away to an investigator because you can't take it back. 
you can always speak to an investigator later on. So, and a lot of the investigators in this state, and I know other states might be a little bit different, but I know in this state, the investigators, man, they will hound you to try to get you to talk to them. And mm-hmm. they'll do it, they'll do it within, you know, 24, 48 hours of complaint being issued where somebody's not necessarily thinking clearly and they might right. say something that's, you know, can be misconstrued. So, yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. I mean, for our listeners out there, and you know, some of this, as I'm kind of thinking through it, goes back to what we mentioned in the beginning, Nick, was, you know, the insurance side of this. Does your insurance cover this? And I think it just lends itself to something we've said on the show before, and you hit on it briefly as well, making sure that you understand the insurance coverage. You know, a lot of group policies, they have limits on the group, you know, they can be settled without uh, you having any input. Like you said, some will pay for your representation, some represent you and the physician and the hospital or the facility and whose best interest is going to be put forth there. So you need to understand that, you know, at any facility you're working at and how that policy is going to protect you, I think, number one. And if you want to elaborate on that, I'd be glad to. I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, just make sure, you know, I would shop around, but in the sense of seeing what available options are and, you know, what is the best coverage, not necessarily what's cheapest because most of the time, you know, when you you go go with, when you go with the cheapest, it's not going to be the best. Right. And and for our listeners, you know, the, the association, the American association of nurse anesthesiologists now, as they call themselves, you know, they have their own policies and, and so forth. And they even have a policy now, Sharon, for CRNAs that already have coverage and are working at a hospital or facility to kind of supplement and cover some of these things that they've seen holes in throughout the years. And, but, you know, I'll tell you, in, in working with CRNAs for 20 plus years, it's not something that your average CRNA is going to go look into on their own. And unfortunately, the time to look into this is not when you've got a claim pending or when something has gone wrong. So, you know, I think educating our listeners to understand that and at least requesting a copy of it. I know that at least when John Fetcher was there, Sharon, you know, we could send up policies, group policies up to the ANA and they would evaluate it for free. And I think they'll still do that for you. Um, yes, so they will still do that. But my next question is this, Nick, um, mm-hmm. for our listeners who don't live in this state and don't have you, how would they go about finding your equivalent in their own state? What's the best way? Yeah. Um, more than likely, it's going to be either one or two things, either Google, I hate to you know just throw the obvious out there, Google, but you know, maybe Google professional license defense or occupational license defense, administrative law in whatever state they're in or area they're in, you know, their Google reviews. If you see an attorney with, you know, 2.5 Google reviews, probably want to stay away from that person. And, you know, but you see somebody with like, you know, 4.3, 4.5 or above, you know, probably worth at least a consultation with them. Another one is um, all the state bars will have some sort of lawyer referral service. You know, North Carolina's got one. I know pretty much every other state has one as well. That's another great resource. Um, so you just call the state bar? Yeah, you either call the state bar or the bar association for whatever state, and they'll have some sort of lawyer referral service that will kind of categorize who does what and have people in there. That's another good resource to find an attorney in your state for this type of work. 
Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Of course, I've never had to deal with this. Knock on wood, Sharon. Knock on wood. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Too bad you're not here. I could knock on your head. There you go. There you go. Uh, but that's good to know. I didn't know that your state bar did something like that. That's that's a really nice piece of information to have. Yep. So, Nick, as we, we kind of wrap up here, why don't you just just kind of summarize some things from this conversation for us? You know, one, what should CRNAs or nurses be thinking about prior to getting, you know, any kind of episode um, uh, or maybe being requested or, you know, they're in a lawsuit. And then once they've been named or think they're going to be named, what should they do next? Well, first off, as we talked about, not to, you know, talk about too much, but in having the insurance policy, their own insurance policy, because then you can get your own attorney. So if, if there ends up being something civil file, you know, you contact your insurance provider, they'll get you an attorney you know, go with your civil attorney, let them know everything, be honest with them. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of the main thing is like, be absolutely hundred percent honest with your attorney because the attorney has confidentiality. So anything you tell your attorney stays with your attorney. That's, that's a big one. Except for Cohen, right? Cohen didn't have confidentiality. (laughs) I I I digress on that one. (laughs) (laughs) All right now, watch out. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of the biggest thing. I think when there's any sort of civil suit or professional license issue is, you know, get with an attorney as soon as you can, you know, be honest with them. And also if there's, make sure, I, I think one thing that people need to be aware of, regardless of what state you're in, make sure that you you have your contact information updated with your board, because how are they supposed to contact you if they don't have your contact information? And if they don't have your contact information, man, they're going to proceed anyways, and you're not going to know about it. So you're not going to mm. be able to defend yourself. That's, that's wow. kind of, that pops up more often than you would actually think. Hmm. That's interesting. I hadn't even thought about that. So if you move, make sure that you're updating your address and numbers and everything with the board of nursing. Yeah, absolutely. An email address as well, because they'll, they'll you know, obviously nowadays we don't really rely on, on mail that much. Email is more prevalent, right. but depending on the state, you might have a state that prefers mailing stuff out and do certified mail. And if they don't have your updated mailing address, you know, they're going to proceed without you. Sharon, when you moved, did you change your address with the Board of Nursing? Absolutely, I did. Good for you. Yes, I knew better. <laughs> Good for you. Well, I think this has been extremely interesting, and I think it's good information that our listeners should hear. Sharon, you got anything else? You, I think we've covered a lot of ground here. Thank you for joining us today, Nick. Hey, well, thank you guys very much. You know, just, uh, you know, my firm's the North State Law, and we really appreciate the fact that you guys uh, do what you do on, on the podcast. It's, um, you know, very well-run podcast, and I've enjoyed it this morning. Like, I really have. Thank you guys so much. Yeah. Good. And Nick, we'll put your uh, contact information. If there's anybody out there in North Carolina that, you know, needs someone or, you know, um, wants to ask you questions, I'm sure that uh, you'd be uh, amenable to that. So we'll put your information out there as well. So if they've got anything, they can contact you as well. So, but again, I kind of echo what Sharon said. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Your your time is valuable and uh, we appreciate that today and your expertise. And uh, Sharon, I, I think it's a wrap. I think so. Well, we want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. If you like our show and want to help us grow, Sharon, how can they do that? Well, the best way is to leave us a review. We found out that the algorithm, uh, the more reviews we have, 
it will push us closer to the top of the rankings. But above and beyond that, please leave us a review, but make it positive. There's enough negativity in the world. Yes, there is. That's right. Well, you know, Sharon, we're consistently in the top 50 medical podcasts, and we, we would like to go a little higher than top 50 if, if we can. And as I told you, you know, our downloads have increased every single year since we've been doing this. I think we've got, what, 160 episodes now? Wow, Something like that. Close. So, um, So we're excited about the direction that the show is going and hopefully we're doing some good for the community out there. So thank you guys for listening. And until next time, it's a wrap. Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? You know, on average, 25% of people will file a disability claim and most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself and your ability to earn with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith, a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com or call him at 504-394-6557. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Sharon, the season of Christmas and giving is upon us again. Yes, it is. And it keeps coming around quicker and quicker. It certainly does. And during this giving season, you and I and our listeners have an opportunity to give two ways at once. As many of you know, Sharon and I support the ANA Foundation, and I currently serve on their board. The Foundation is a charitable organization devoted to anesthesia research, education, and development. All of which are very important to our profession. That's exactly right, Sharon, and it's the very reason to donate. However, we wanted to let you know that you can give to the Foundation during this season in someone's honor as a tribute, or if you've lost a loved one, a donation in their memory. The Foundation will send a card to the family letting them know that you've done this. What a lovely way to memorialize someone. You know, I will be donating in memory of my precious granddaughter, Emma Kate Brick, and that we lost this year. Also, as we're taping this, we found out we lost an icon to this profession. Patrick Downey, a former AANA president. Another way to memorialize him is to donate to the foundation. Yes, Sharon, and I really hate we didn't get an opportunity to have Patrick on the podcast. That was always our plan. It's just so sad. If you'd like to donate, just go to the ANA Foundation within the AANA website under Ways to Give and Donate in Tribute or in Memory and Help Your Profession. Thanks so much, and Merry Christmas from myself and Jeremy. 
Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment, or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible, and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.